What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the HoopsHype podcast. With a little over one week from the NBA trade deadline, our HoopsHype salary cap expert and my co-host, EOC Goslin, is in studio with me to discuss the latest rumblings ahead of the trade deadline. We're going to get into Bradley Beal's future. We'll talk trade targets for the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. And we've got some updates on the Chicago Bulls. Milwaukee Bucks and more coming up on today's episode. So you'll see the first team I want to touch on is the Washington Wizards. Uh, you know, right now, all eyes are on them to see if they're going to make a move. They started the year hot. They've struggled lately. Um, and you'll see several people I've spoken to around the league believe the Wizards will look to go big name hunting on the trade deadline with the trade deadline coming up to keep Bradley Beal happy. And they could look to acquire DeMontis Sabonis or Jeremy Grant. You know, Beal and the Wizards, they're at a crossroads in a sense. Uh, the second half of the season is going to go a long way in determining if Beal is going to want to take a max extension with the Wizards or if he's going to look to move on and, and try to win elsewhere. Um, you know, this year he's gotten his teammates more involved. He's averaging a career high in assists around six and a half, six point six per game. Um, even though his scoring has decreased and he's shooting a career low 30 percent from three point range. So it's going to be interesting to see with him out for a little bit now with that wrist injury, how Washington responds. Yeah, so. I think the Wizards have what it takes to get grand. We've spoken about this before on one of our previous episodes, but I also do think they could get into the discussion to acquire a guy like DeMontis Sabonis. I I briefly, I briefly got into that in my trade that uh, trade guide, but um, not didn't really like delve into maybe how it could happen. They've got some of some of their recent first round picks. They got Denny Avdia, Corey Kispert, Ruby Hachimura, they got some veterans that can be the salary filler, like Kyle Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie, but you know those guys have some value too. And their draft pick situation is a little complicated. They owe a 2023 first to OKC. Uh, they originally sent that to Houston, and it's got some protections in the lottery through 2026. So technically, they could only send out uh, a 2028 first right now, but they could probably also send out a their first available pick that could probably be as early as 2025. But with all the protections that they already have on the 2023 pick that might not convey. So, you know, up to two picks and all the other things I mentioned trading, a guy trading for a guy like Sabonis, it could cost Washington most, if not all the things I just mentioned. So, uh, you know, that the only thing is they could do that type of move, uh, hopefully get better, but they might not have much left afterward in the near term to do another big move later. Now, as far as Beal's future, my feeling is that, yeah, there, I agree. There also, there is some sort of a crossroads going on and maybe there, there could be some conversation and it's happening, especially because the trade deadline's a week away and then he can opt out this summer. Uh, Beal will be eligible this summer for five years, 241 million deal with the Wizards. If he were to join another team through either through cap space or a sign trade, most he can, he can get is four years, 179 million. Uh, biggest difference there is the year. The uh, he can get that extra year if he re-signs with his full bird rights. 
So that's the main thing he'd be losing out if he were to leave. So, you know, if he's considering moving on now, ideally would be the best time in a trade. So he can keep his bird rights, maximize his earnings. Um, and then, you know, um, and, and, you know, to be honest though, like if, if you're the wizards and you know, that, that's a possibility you might want to move on potentially. I can't say I'm that crazy about giving Beal that type of money with uh, that type of commitment, the way he's been playing recently. Is he better than this? Probably. But even at his peak last year, I can't, I'm not sure he was even like a top 20 player last year. So basically if he did want to move on, I, I guess I wouldn't get too emotional about it if I'm the Wizards. You know, it's interesting when you look at the Wizards and, and Beal, uh, you know, like looking ahead, if Beal decides to move on this summer and let's say the Sixers can't get a deal done for James Harden, something along the lines of Beal for Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey, that can make sense for both teams. Um, you know, and, and both Beal and Joel Embiid train with Drew Hanlon. So that's an interesting connection to keep an eye on there. And, you know, and, and with that Sixers package, it's funny because, you know, the Sixers right now, they're competing trying to get a guy like Beal or Harden but you know if those if both those guys become available maybe it could be the other way around where these teams could you know try to compete for that type of package yeah in theory and I mean you know we talk about packages I mean if you're uh Washington or you know Sacramento any other team that's looked at DeMontis Sabonis you know I, I reported on Hoopsite that they are looking for a Nikola Vucevic package uh that type of package in Indiana you know, since then, I've spoken to some executives about it. They think that that's certainly a fair package. Now, what's interesting about that, you know, you're talking about at that time, you had an expiring contract, you had uh, two first round picks, and you had Wendell Carter at the time that was involved in that trade. And Wendell was a high lottery pick. So essentially, that's like three first round picks, depending on how you can break it down, if you can get a young guy or not. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems from talking to people around the league that they think that that he is worth that. So I'm going to be curious to see who pulls the trigger there. If something happens with the DeMontis Sabonis, certainly, you know, Washington's at a crossroads where it could certainly make sense. They've got a lot of big men there, uh, some young big men, maybe they could try to break that up and see if, uh, you know, they can consolidate that more. And, you know, what's also interesting, Yossi, in regards to Washington, you've got the backcourt fit between Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie that hasn't gone according to plan thus far. And then you've got Dinwiddie, who was asked about being a leader for the Wizards. And I'm shortening the quote here, but the, the sentences that sucked out to me were when he said, I spoke up a little bit early on. It wasn't necessarily welcomed. Ouch. That is not what you want to hear. You know, I know Spencer wanted to go to a team where he would have a little bit more of a voice and have a chance to kind of expand his game more towards where we saw him when he was, you know, potentially a borderline all-star. Um, you know, when Kyrie went down and he went from kind of coming off the bench to being a starter for the Nets that one year. Um, and I, that ultimately is interesting. I, you know, you, you wonder if maybe Washington could potentially look to move Dinwiddie, but his value is not going to be as high uh, because he's had a slower start to the year. So I think that's going to be interesting uh, for sure. But he did have a lot of suitors over the summer. Yes. And just from those comments alone, I'm sure a lot of people started heading over to the trade machine, seeing what's out there. And I'll say this. If 
like any potential internal issues there might be aside, his pairing with Beal just hasn't worked, plain and simple. Um, and that alone could, like the, the the basketball fit alone could justify potentially moving him ahead of the trade deadline. So yeah, I'm sure that's, I'm definitely keeping an eye out on that. Then, you know, there's a handful of teams I could see making sense for him. Like just off the top of my head, I could see Boston, Dallas, Clippers, New Orleans, Cleveland, New York, just a few that jump out to me. And personally, like if you've listened to the podcast over the past year, I'm, I've, I'm personally, I'm much higher on Dinwiddie than I think most are. And I think there's a good chance he'll be better than this over time. He's still barely removed from his ACL injury and, and rehab. So if you're another team and Dinwiddie can be acquired, and like you said, maybe his value is not that high, so, and you could get him at a reasonable price. And, and, you know, the contract's not that long either. He's only got another year that's fully guaranteed. You know, if you can get him at a pretty good price, I think other teams should jump on that. Yeah, and you'll see, you know, you, uh, you touch on uh, Dinwiddie with his ACL injury. Um, another notable player had an ACL injury uh, recently that is going to affect the trade market. Uh, the torn ACL injury to Joe Ingles is a tough blow to the Utah Jazz in several ways. Um, now, Utah has dangled Ingles and a first-round pick on the trade market in an effort to improve on the wing. Uh, you know, that's going back to the draft. Uh, last year. And now Ingles is out and Utah essentially is in the same boat as Cleveland, for example, when it comes to having an expiring contract to move on the market with their first round pick. But the guy who has the expiring contract isn't going to play. Um, so with that in mind, with that in mind, what has Utah done to look to improve? Well, Utah has discussed several wing options, uh, including Harrison Barnes, Robert Covington, Josh Richardson, Josh Okogi is another name I've heard, according to league sources. Uh, so they certainly done their due diligence. And, you know, the mold of finding a defensive wing uh, certainly appears to fit with all those names. You're finding a commonality there. Regarding Harrison Barnes in particular, I've heard from executives around the league that Sacramento would like at least a first round pick in any potential deal for him. Utah has that. But the question is if Sacramento would be willing to take on Ingles when he can't play, you know, with his ACL injury now, or if they would try to get someone like Boyan Bogdanovich instead. Though I'm not sure Utah would want to pay that price for Barnes, let alone the fact that um, it'd be tough to merit that when you got Joe Ingles out. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they can do there, if they can find something there for Barnes. Remember also, uh, when Danny Ainge was in Boston, they had talks with the Sacramento Kings to try to acquire Barnes. Now that Ainge has shifted uh, to the West and, and he's with the Utah Jazz, it appears that that eye for Harrison Barnes remains. So it'll be interesting to see if Danny can get a deal done. As I've said this on other podcasts with you, and I've, I've always maintained that Danny Ainge was brought there to make a trade to bolster this team. Danny Ainge did not go to Utah to sit on his hands and keep the same core. We've seen what it is. They got to improve in the West, especially when you look at the Warriors and the Suns and where they're at right now. I agree. I think I think the pressure meter has definitely 
gone, uh, has definitely climbed a few notches for Utah. And this injury to Joe Ingles is definitely uh, contributing to that. Now, I'm sure before the injury, the Jazz probably kept their options open in terms of potentially trading some of their other role players. Uh, but now I I don't think they really have much of a choice other than, than to trade Ingles and to turn him into a healthy body and a, a role player. Um, they've been seeking a defensive-minded forward for a while now. And I'm not sure any of the players you mentioned that they're they have an eye on that they're in a I'm, I'm not sure they're in a position I'm not sure those teams of those players are in a position to take on angles for the rest of the season either uh you, you know, unless you know you get some really good draft pick compensation so uh with that said though I think there's a pr- there's a decent chance that in any trade that Utah does that involves angles could also involve a team like Oklahoma City or Orlando to take on the uh, Ingles contract since he's out for the year because they could they can add on more money. Now, while Utah's potential offer of Ingles in a first in a future first, uh, you know, it doesn't seem that appealing uh, on the surface. I do think that there's a lot of value in trading for any future first round pick that's far out because the earliest trade uh, pick the Jazz can trade. It would be a 2026 pick, which is it'd be a conditional pick because that there's protections on a previous pick they would Oklahoma, but it's that one could definitely that's a pick a 2026 pick uh, traded conditionally could definitely convey, and then they could also trade a 2028 first, and look no one knows where any team will be two years from now, let alone four. So I think any team trading a role player. Like like a really good role player, a decent starter, like the ones you mentioned, for for a pick that far out, I think that I think you're potentially getting a very valuable pick. And if anything, even if you don't want to wait that long for it to convey, or you're afraid that it might not be that good by the time it's by the time it comes to use it, then I, you know the perceived value of that pick alone can be a big trade as a, a big trade asset in itself that you could move around. So, like. I, I just basically what I'm saying is I think that just if the Jazz are putting one of their future far out first on the table, and I, I think like any of these any of the teams that you just mentioned that have these potential forwards, these defensive minded forwards, I think I'd heavily consider that package. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if Danny Ainge is going to be there that many years from now down the line. And and that's one thing you always got to consider when you look at these teams when they're making trades for picks that are way down the line. You know, like I know Sam Presti is kind of like the king of that, but a lot of executives don't necessarily feel like they have the security to wait that long for those picks down the line. And then they're like, well, either I'm not going to draft that guy right. or somebody but else on, is going to use that hand, pick. On the other hand, it's like, not my, you know, they could trade the pick and be like, oh, not my problem. I might not be here by the time it's time to, you know, by the time the, the pick's time by the time it's time to use it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, we touched on obviously like for Harrison Barnes, what a uh, package could be. Uh, certainly a lot of teams around the league are interested in Harrison Barnes. Uh, a new name to mention with Harrison Barnes. I'm going to touch on now a new team. Uh, the New Orleans Pelicans appear to be buyers heading into the trade deadline. And they have expressed interest in trading for several players including Harrison Barnes, Robert Covington, 
and Eric Gordon, a league source has told Hoopsite. Uh, rival executives I've spoken to also believe that Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Jackson Hayes are both available for the right upgrade as well. Uh, according to multiple executives, the Pelicans are more willing to listen on moving Alexander Walker than they had in the past. Um, also, another guy to keep an eye on with the Pelicans, Josh Hart. I feel like you and I have touched on him previously, but Josh Hart is also a player to keep an eye on thanks to his team-friendly contract, which is not guaranteed next season. And uh, you can check that out on our Pelicans salary page on Hoops Hype. Um you know, there's teams that certainly have liked him for from afar. Uh, you know, one of those, uh, Atlanta, certainly. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Hart gets moved down the line. So I wrote in my trade guide last week that the Pelicans seem like buyers to me. And also I could I could see them making very big moves, if not the biggest moves next week. I think between them and Sacramento, those teams – seem like the biggest uh, contenders for me that could make the biggest moves next week. So the Pelicans, they have some, they have some large tradable salaries, like in Josh Hart, as you mentioned, uh, Thomas Hedaransky. Um, They've got several young players like the ones you just mentioned. I can see uh, a lot of all those pieces getting potentially consolidated for a player like Barnes or even I wrote about CJ McCollum. I think that's the type of player I could see them potentially going for. They could match salaries for him. Or if, if they can even, uh, I think even with the, some of the draft picks they have, they can even go after some of the best available players like Ben Simmons or Demontis Sabonis. Um, not saying that, you know, that's that the, just, I think they have the assets to make it happen. Now, Uh, Not only do they, I think, they have the assets for a trade like that, but they also do have that big $17 million trade exception that they can use to make an additional upgrade on top of any big trade they do. Uh, So, you know, they can trade for a guy like like Barnes, like you mentioned, and then they could use that trade exception. Maybe they could get a guy like Robert Covington or Marcus Morris, Josh Richardson, Uh, just to name a few guys. Them so if and if the Pel- so if the Pelicans do maximize their spending power like that and their trade assets in a win now move it would f- it, it feels kind of similar to what the Bulls have done recently so you know if they're gonna do something like aggressive buying like that you gotta ask can two big trades like that and the return of Zion be enough to get them into the playing tournament I think there's a pretty good chance of that based on how the rest of the West is starting to break out like the Wolves. Starting in the Lakers, I think they sh- they seem like they should have a good hold in the seven and eight seed. I mean, the Cl- Clippers, Blazers, I don't know what's going to happen with them. They could fall out easily. And, you know, the Pelicans, I think if if they're going to be buyers, they, sh- they I think they have a pretty good shot at, for sh- at definitely at least making the playing tournament if all of that happens and everything falls right for them. I mean, Zion is certainly the biggest X factor there. I don't know if you can bank on him right now if you're in New Orleans, but... Um, you know, time will tell there. Um, some other teams, um, as I mentioned in the open, we would touch on the Milwaukee Bucks and the Chicago Bulls, uh, two of the best teams in the East. Got some updates on them. Uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks, Dante DiVincenzo has drawn considerable trade interest from teams around the league. Sources told Hoopsype, uh, Milwaukee isn't going to move him unless they get either a good young player or someone that's going to help them win 
this season. The Bucks tried to extend both DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen before the deadline this season. Uh, you know, once Allen agreed to an extension and DiVincenzo didn't, some around the league wondered if Milwaukee chose essentially uh, to keep Allen over DiVincenzo long term. But that's not the case. Uh, heading into the offseason, I'm told Milwaukee has an appetite for retaining uh, both players with DiVincenzo heading into restricted free agency on what would be uh, a $6.6 million qualifying offer. I think with DiVincenzo and the Bucks, I, it might return a, a, a potential long-term future there. It might just come down to what the terms are and if it's something that might be favorable to the Bucks. Uh, there are, you know, they're already deep in the luxury tax this season, and they're probably going to be deep in the luxury tax next season, depending on several factors, which could include resigning DiVincenzo, how much he gets, if they use the tax pyramid level, if Bobby Portis opts out and he commands a bigger deal. So they're they're all they're still looking at an expensive team next year, and I, I think that's something to take into consideration. But with that said. They're probably still going to spend a good amount, but I also do feel like the Bucks they could they could decide maybe they do have enough depth at their guard rotation in case maybe they either wanted to move on or or uh, like let him walk or or even trade him ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, you know they've got Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton under cost control for next year. They've done very well with those guys early on in the season with them. Uh, so, you know, I'm sure they're going to keep their options open, which could in, include moving DiVincenzo. I wrote in my trade guide, you know, they can't trade any first round picks. Uh, he might be their their best uh, like I trade asset right now if they wanted to get an upgrade at the wing or the front court. Yeah. And I mean, look down the line, let's say they don't trade DiVincenzo. They could always resign him and then flip him next year. Um, but you know, you touched on other potential upgrades they could uh, look for. The Bucks are also looking to add a backup center, either via a trade or by signing a center in the buyout market, league sources told Hoopsype. Um, and I mean, there's also a curiosity if Milwaukee will look to replace P.J. Tucker with a potential wing defender. Um, you know, some rival executives are wondering. Yes, I can see that happening. That's something I touched on in my trade guide. I could see them trading for a Covington type player. He, the Bucks are my ultimate favorite uh, Covington destination. Uh, he can fill that Tucker role. Um, yeah, I would love to see that happen. And last but not least, we'll touch on the Chicago Bulls. You know, for me, Yossi, Dennis Schroeder is a name to watch for Chicago with the injuries to Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso and Chicago's in a win now mode. He's the type of player the Bulls can buy low on for a second round pick and a player like Troy Brown Jr., for example. Um, also in Chicago, I would keep an eye on Paul Millsap. I think he's another name to watch in Chicago if he gets bought out by the Nets following the trade deadline. The Bulls showed real interest in Millsap before he chose the Nets as a free agent and they could use a little bit of help Uh with their front court depth looking ahead towards trying to make a, a run in the playoffs. And Dennis Schroeder to Chicago was something 
That makes a lot of sense to me. You know, it was something I was keeping my eye on during his free agency in the offseason just because of his connection with Billy Donovan. Schroeder has had his most success under Donovan. Um, that year in OKC when they almost beat the Rockets, he was really it was really important in the in the that three guard lineup that they were throwing out there. So a reunion could definitely help Schroeder and could really help the Bulls right now, given all the injuries that they have to Alonzo and Caruso. Uh, you know, and earlier in the season, you and I were talking about how the Celtics would have to consider trading Schroeder because they're going to be limited in resigning him because of his non-bird rights. It would cap; they're going to cap him at a, a seven million dollars starting salary. Um, you know, but. Uh, I, I don't know. Now I'm starting to think that maybe offers aren't going to be like significantly higher than that. Maybe there's a there's a decent chance that whether it's Boston or whatever whatever team acquires Schroeder, I maybe they can maybe there's a good chance they could resign him to like a one plus one. Um, now the other thing about a trade like that is that you know you can let's say they do something like Troy Brown and a, a second round pick for Dennis Schroeder. They still have enough trade filler left over to potentially go after a forward. Uh, you know, they've been linked to several forwards that could be available, like Jeremy Grant. You could probably, you know, the the, the same type of tr- frameworks that they would throw out for him. You can apply that to Harrison Barnes or Robert Covington or Marcus Morris. So, you know, you got the contracts. You got Kobe White, Derek Jones. Look, I'm not saying that and uh, one first round pick is getting it done for any of those guys. But that is the framework that they're probably uh, offering to get a guy like, like one of the guys I mentioned. And the point of, yeah, they could, they could accomplish, they could, they could accomplish both things, get a forward and get a guard like Schroeder. It's going to be interesting to see how injuries affect the trade market. We certainly saw it with Joe Ingles. Uh, recently for Utah and as teams kind of identify whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. We just touched on New Orleans as a buyer. Um, it's going to be an interesting 10 days, Yossi. I know uh, we'll certainly be going back and forth on it as we get closer to the trade deadline and uh, looking forward to it, brother. Looking forward to it, Michael. Yossi, thanks for joining me as always. I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, media members, uh, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Yossi too, at Yossi Goslin, Y-O-S-S-I-G-O-Z-L-A-N. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.